0: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by The Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer,
0: which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, get twenty, twenty. do get 20, 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month?
1: So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers Limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The industrial revolution, an age marked by the rapid growth of machines and powered diligence. Like the name suggests, it was the birth of modern industry, of mechanized capitalism. Jobs long considered tedious were now expedited, where scientific motivations in steel and steam-powered contraptions led the way to newfound prosperity.
0: It was during this dawn of mechanically charged innovation that the American dream began to be realized. If you had a will and a way, you could write your own history, from rags to silk pennies to dollars. It was a time of economic alchemy.
1: And it was during this age that one man changed the game entirely. From a modest life in Ohio, one man drove himself to do the impossible, become the wealthiest man in the world. Yet how he got his wealth, his methods of business, well, this made him quite the controversial figure. Some called him a genius, others a tyrant. This man is John D. Rockefeller.
0: Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Carter Roy. Today we'll be looking at one of America's richest men, a man who was and still is the subject of much controversy, John D. Rockefeller.
1: If you want to listen to any previous episodes of historical figures, you can find them on Apple Podcasts. TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory.
0: And if you like the show, we'd really appreciate a five-star review.
1: It seems simple, but it helps us keep the show going. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. Don't forget to subscribe because a new episode comes out every Wednesday.
0: So without further ado, let's begin our journey into the life of John D. Rockefeller.
1: John D. Rockefeller has been described as many things. To some, he is one of our nation's great treasures, a philanthropist who gave away most of his fortune for the betterment of mankind.
0: Yet to others, he is a robber baron, a gangster and hustler who used amoral business practices to build an omnipresent business empire and America's first monopoly. He believed in a sort of capitalistic social Darwinism, where business was survival of the fittest. And if you were to survive, you had to be the biggest and the strongest. For John D. Rockefeller, competition was a cardinal sin.
1: It was because of John D. Rockefeller that we have many of our modern business practices and laws to ensure monopolies don't exist and big businesses are kept in check.
0: So what was John D. Rockefeller? Was he a ruthless business tycoon, or humanitarian godsend, or both?
1: Perhaps we can answer that question in today's episode. So let's dig into the life of John D. Rockefeller.
0: The story of John D. Rockefeller begins on July 8, 1839, on a small farm in the town of Richford, New York, in Tioga County. Here, Rockefeller was born into modest circumstances.
1: Eliza Davidson settled down with local philanderer William Avery Rockefeller. Together the couple had six children, yet William rarely stuck around to help raise the kids. William Avery Rockefeller was a con man and carpetbagger, known as Devil Bill or Big Bill. Originally a lumber salesman, William grew tired of his wooden life and decided to make some easy money. He sold himself as a botanic physician, traveling across the country to sell snake oil concoctions.
0: These were little more than poison. Yet, in an age where no one could look up a Yelp review, most took the concoctions at face value. Con artists like William spun wild yarns about how their miracle elixir could cure all ailments, the wildest and most common claim being that it cured all forms of cancers. How awful. Why did William Rockefeller want to peddle poison like that? Was the money really worth it?
1: Mm, Maybe. Or maybe William Rockefeller just really didn't want to be at home. In fact, he rarely returned to visit his family. If he did, it was merely to get a home-cooked meal and be with his wife. If he did spend any time with his kids, it was to teach them important hard lessons, like how to cheat people or get a better deal. Of course, in order to do this, he often cheated his own children out of money. In reality, he probably simply needed more money to keep up with his own insidious schemes, so he just took it from his kids. When people asked why he was so hard on his children, he said, I cheat my boys every chance I get. It makes them sharp. In fact, John D. Rockefeller later recalled one of these lessons, saying his father told him to, quote, trade dishes for platters.
0: Speaking of cheating, William Rockefeller was also a notorious sleaze. As he traveled from town to town, he'd not only woo the ignorant populace, but seduce young women as well. Then once business concluded in town, he'd leave. What a mook. Wonder why Eliza stuck with him through six kids. An excellent question, but you have to understand, Eliza Davidson was a pious woman of the highest caliber. If William was the wild card of the house, Eliza was the stability. A devout Baptist, she looked after her children with fierce determination and poise. She made sure they were properly educated and well-behaved. She took the children to church every day to ensure they didn't pick up the poor habits of their father.
1: Mm, So why not just divorce him?
0: Keep in mind, back in the day, divorce was considered a scandal and a social faux pas. A divorced woman was considered a tainted woman, as far-fetched and ignorant as it sounds. And Eliza was a woman of strong religious conviction in a time when religious leaders disapproved of divorce.
1: Mm, The Rockefeller household was an interesting one. With Dad away, it was up to young John to help keep track of his five other siblings. There was his older sister Lucy, his younger siblings William and Mary, and the twins, Franklin and Francis.
0: John was very industrious, even at a young age. He worked hard to keep his house in order to help his mother and did extra work around the neighborhood to make sure the family had enough money. John raised chickens, helped with farm work, even sold candy — anything to help out.
1: Hmm. Sounds like he took more after his mother than father.
0: Quite possibly. While in church, his mother urged him to give whatever extra pennies he had to church to help the less fortunate. This is said to have been the beginning of John's sense of charity.
1: He didn't just give pennies to the church, he also gave them to his siblings and even his neighbors. This sense of charity was further spurred on when a Baptist preacher told him, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. This became a commanding doctrine in Rockefeller's life, one he carried with him until his death. To him, money was a God-given gift, and those who had money had an obligation to give it to those in need.
0: By the time Rockefeller was 12, his family moved to Oswego, New York in the year 1851. There, he attended Oswego Academy.
1: Rockefeller was an exceptional student. He especially excelled at math and accounting. He also enjoyed music, so much so that he even considered it an alternate career path. Instead, however, Rockefeller chose to focus on business.
0: Rockefeller didn't stay at Oswego long, however. In 1853, when he was 14, The family moved to Strongsville, Ohio. This move proved to be a turbulent time in John D. Rockefeller's life.
1: Shortly after the move, Big Bill Rockefeller finally left Eliza. He fled Ohio to Ontario, Canada, where he remarried, though he never officially divorced Eliza. He also changed his name to Dr. William Levingston and continued to peddle snake oil.
0: This became the dark secret of the family, and John did all he could to comfort his mom and support her.
1: After his dad left, Rockefeller attended Cleveland Central High School. He continued to work hard and focused on math and business classes. While studying, Rockefeller also looked for work. He spent days wandering around town, knocking on the doors of businesses, begging for a job.
0: Rockefeller found odd jobs here and there, but nothing that really struck his fancy. In 1855, he graduated high school, and at his graduation, he met the love of his life. Laura Celestia Spellman.
1: Laura was an Ohio native born into a fairly affluent family and just a few months younger than Rockefeller. Her father was a prosperous merchant, politician, and abolitionist. He even helped transport fugitive slaves to safety across the Mason-Dixon through the Underground Railroad.
0: Like Rockefeller's mother, Laura was a devoted churchgoer and carried herself with pride and dignity. She also spoke out about the importance of education, especially for young women. At age 15, she gave a speech at Rockefeller's graduation about how important it was for women to have the right to pursue culture and independent work.
1: The two began courting, exchanging letters and going on simple dates such as walks and dinner. Both were career-driven, with Laura wanting to be a teacher and Rockefeller a successful businessman. So the two held off on marriage until both were financially sound.
0: After graduating high school at age 16, Rockefeller enrolled in Folsom Mercantile College. There he took a bookkeeping class. To everyone's astonishment, he completed the six-month class in only three, then immediately dropped out of school.
1: Rockefeller hunted for a job and on September 26, 1855, got his big break. Rockefeller was hired as an assistant bookkeeper with Hewitt and Tuttle, a commissioned merchant's company and produce shipper. This day was a momentous one for Rockefeller, one he decided to celebrate the rest of his life as his own personal holiday called Job Day.
0: So for the rest of his life, he celebrated September 26th as the beginning of his career. Little did he know that his career had only just begun.
1: Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
0: And now, back to our story. John
1: D. Rockefeller had just gotten his first job as a bookkeeper for commission merchants Hewitt and Tuttle. Once again, Rockefeller's focused and industrious nature drove him to excel. Within two years of being hired, Rockefeller was not only managing financial accounts, but shipping manifests and railroad schedules for the company.
0: Of course, anything Rockefeller made from his business, he saw to it that he donated 6 to 10 percent of it to charity. If his pay was 50 cents a day, he donated a nickel. If it was a dollar, he donated a dime.
1: Yet bookkeeping soon seemed to bore the young entrepreneur. He had greater ambitions. This is where he developed his two goals in life. First, he would make $100,000. Second, he'd live to be 100 years old.
0: After working for Hewitt and Tuttle for four years, 20-year-old Rockefeller quit and decided to go into business for himself.
1: Rockefeller decided to open up his own commission firm with an old college friend, Morris B. Clark, a classmate of his from the Mercantile College. Like Hewitt and Tuttle, Rockefeller's firm sold products in bulk for other companies and also shipped goods. By the end of their first year, the company's net worth was $4,000, or roughly $106,000 by today's standards. Quite an impressive first start. Meanwhile, a major boom was about to happen in a micro town called Titusville, Pennsylvania.
0: That same year Rockefeller and Maurice opened up their new business, the first commercially successful oil well was drilled in Titusville. Up
1: until this point, the only way to get oil was through whaling and other animal byproducts. The oil within the animals was converted to kerosene, the main source of fuel for gas lighting and lanterns across the country. No one had thought about drilling into the earth for the black muck that lay beneath them.
0: Then in 1846, a Canadian geologist realized that oil from the ground could be refined much quicker and cheaper than animal byproducts. So on August 27th, 1859, Colonel Edwin L. Drake drilled the Drake Well, the first commercially successful oil well. The oil boom was on the horizon.
1: Meanwhile, Rockefeller's commission firm continued to grow. By 1861, they were making $17,000. That's over $450,000 today. Of course, around this time, another big event happened that shook the very core of the union.
0: In February of 1861, the Civil War began. The war drove prices up all across the board, and the Rockefeller's firm enjoyed much prosperity because of it. Yet even with the large capital gains, Rockefeller kept to his doctrine. Rockefeller said, quote, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can, end quote. Rockefeller donated to several charities and churches. He was also a strong early supporter to the newly formed republican party and abraham lincoln like laura's father rockefeller supported the underground railroad and was an outspoken abolitionist
1: he even gave money to a newly freed slave the man came to rockefeller asking for his help in freeing his wife who was still stuck in the south rockefeller was more than happy to pay for the man's wife's freedom and bring her north
0: Mm, quite the charity indeed
1: Meanwhile, thanks to the North's growing industry, machines grew larger, creating more and more materials for the war effort. Trains helped deliver necessary supplies in a timely manner. Steam-powered engines began to supplant the horse and other outmoded means of transportation. And at the center of this, a growing demand for oil.
0: As the war wore down, the oil boom hit in the mid-1860s. Rockefeller took notice of the rapidly growing oil business. He talked to Maurice and convinced him to invest in their own refinery. Maurice brought his two brothers, James and Richard, to help finance. Rockefeller also brought in chemist Samuel Andrews to help with drilling and perfecting their oil.
1: So in 1863, Rockefeller and company opened the Andrews, Clark and Company Oil Company.
0: By 1864, the war was over. The union was made whole again, and America began to slowly recover in the Reconstruction era. During this time, Rockefeller finally approached his sweetheart, Laura Spellman, for her hand in marriage. She accepted. The two were married on September 8, 1864, the eve before Laura's birthday. For the honeymoon, the two toured Niagara Falls, Canada, and New England.
1: With the woman he loved and a new business to invest in, Rockefeller was about to change the face of American business and usher in a new kind of capitalism, one that would shape the U.S. for over 100 years.
0: Rockefeller opened his first oil refinery with his partners in 1863. His firm was up against a sea of other desperate and driven refineries, each vying to strike black gold.
1: The commission firm was already doing well, making over $400,000 yet their oil business was also growing. Rockefeller felt more money could be made in this new and explosive market. His partners, however, didn't feel the same way.
0: The Clark brothers felt they were stretching resources, balancing the firm and their refinery. They sought to sell the refinery off. Rockefeller desired to keep the refinery open along with his chemist, Andrew.
1: Finally, the partners agreed to auction off the refinery to the partner with the highest bid. Of course, Rockefeller won.
0: Rockefeller borrowed $72,000, or roughly $1 million by today's standards, to acquire the refinery. The Clark brothers gave Rockefeller the refinery, and Rockefeller split from the firm. Andrews followed Rockefeller as his advisor.
1: Sparing no time, Rockefeller quickly reorganized and refinanced the refinery, seizing the economic opportunities set up by reconstruction and westward expansion. Rockefeller invested heavily in oil and railroads. He built up his refinery as best he could, and by 1865, his new oil refinery was the biggest in Cleveland, Ohio.
0: Meanwhile, his first child was born on August 23, 1866. Elizabeth Rockefeller, nicknamed Bessie. Rockefeller couldn't have been happier. He and Laura had always wanted children, and here was their first. Sadly, due to Rockefeller's job, he had to travel back and forth between the refinery and his home in Cleveland. Laura understood the importance of his work and gave her blessing for him to return to work.
1: Later that year, Rockefeller's little brother, William Rockefeller Jr., also got into the oil business. He opened his own refinery and then joined forces with his big brother, John. They also brought on veteran businessman and fellow commission merchant, Henry Flagler, to be a business partner.
0: With Henry's help and expertise, Rockefeller opened up an export office in New York for their refineries. This led to establishing Rockefeller, Andrew, and Flagler Oil Company. By the beginning of 1868, Rockefeller and his partners had the largest oil refinery in the world. Life was good. Meanwhile, Rockefeller
1: needed to find a new home for his growing family. They had been living in a modest home in Cleveland next to Rockefeller's mother. But Rockefeller felt the home couldn't support the large family like he and Laura wanted. So he moved his family to a bigger home on Euclid Avenue in Cleveland in 1868. This famous street was later known as Millionaire's Row due to the number of affluent families that took up residence there. And while the family got settled, trouble brewed on the horizon. By the latter part of the 1860s, the once booming oil business was mired in a slump. There were too many producers and too many refineries, many of which weren't managed properly. The poor management had disastrous consequences. Fires, explosions, unsanitary working conditions, numerous injuries, and even gang activity designed to drive out competition. Pretty soon, banks no longer wished to fund such a volatile market. That included Rockefeller's group.
0: Rockefeller needed a way to keep expanding, yet he was lost on what to do. No one was backing oil. If they didn't think of something soon, the refinery would be up a creek. That's when Henry Flagler had an idea. Incorporate the refineries into one single entity, thus allowing for greater chances of outside investment. That way they could entice not just banks, but other businesses and entities to invest into their corporation. Rockefeller loved the idea. So
1: on January 10, 1870, Rockefeller dissolved the partnership and incorporated Standard Oil with his same members. Rockefeller became president and the largest shareholder. He then streamlined and simplified operations and started making arrangements with New York Railroad and shipping companies to ship cheaply in exchange for deals on their oil products. With enough money coming in to back more aggressive operations, Rockefeller and Flagler moved on to their next plan, merging horizontal and vertical integration. Put simply, Rockefeller wanted to control all levels of production, from making goods to shipping them.
0: By controlling the raw materials used for creating delivery barrels, Standard only paid half of what their competitors did. Thanks to controlling all levels of production, Standard Oil's capital quickly rose to over one million dollars.
1: And while Standard grew, so too did Rockefeller's family. On July 14, 1870, Alice Rockefeller was born, the second child of the Rockefeller household. Sadly, Alice became very sick. Her condition was kept private until she finally died at 13 months old on August 20, 1871.
0: The Rockefellers were heartbroken, as any family would be, but being of strong faith and religion, the family pushed through their grief. Laura focused on her church activities and raising Bessie, while Rockefeller focused on growing Standard Oil. Yet soon enough, another Rockefeller was born on April 12, 1871. This was Alta Rockefeller. The family praised God for the healthy child and gave thanks by donating to local churches.
1: Meanwhile, by 1872, Standard's capital tripled to $3.5 million. Much of this was coming from New York investors impressed by Standard's work ethic and aggressive expansion. With even more funds now, Henry Flagler suggested an aggressive two-part plan of attack. One, control the railroad shipping rates and two, buy out the competition.
0: The railroads were already looking to get better deals in the oil business. They had struggled for years with shipping rates rising and falling in endless motion. To combat this, three railroad companies stepped forward, Pennsylvania, Erie, and New York Central.
1: These three companies had long competed for the right to carry oil from Cleveland to New York, and their managements eagerly sought a truce to end the price war. That help came in the form of John D. Rockefeller. Together, they created a pool of companies that stabilized prices and ensured steady rates of shipping. This pool became the South Improvement Company.
0: Meanwhile, companies that didn't become part of the new railroad alliance were severely hurt. Drillers lost most of their pricing leverage. Refineries and traders who didn't have fixed low prices were unable to compete with Standard Oil. This drew anger from other companies trying to stay afloat.
1: Things finally came to a head on February 26th, 1872 when the new shipping rates approved by Standard and the South Improvement Company were posted in Oil Creek, Pennsylvania. The rates had nearly doubled for everyone, Mm, everyone except Standard Oil. This caused massive riots across the muddy oil towns in Pennsylvania. Thousands marched on the Titusville Opera House and shouted hate slogans against Standard Oil and the Pennsylvania Railroad. Standard Oil signs were defaced and destroyed. These riots became known as the Oil Wars of 1872.
0: The trouble didn't end at rioting. Newspapers printed a blacklist of refineries every morning on the front page. Standard Oil was always at the top. Papers also posted pictures of Rockefeller and his connection with Standard Oil. Soon he became the center of attention and the main cause of everything wrong. It was the first time Rockefeller had ever been mentioned in a newspaper. It wasn't flattering, to say the least.
1: It didn't take long for death threats to fly at Rockefeller and his family. Rockefeller was scared for his children especially. Bessie was six years old and Alta was only one. Well, fearing for their safety, he hired his own security force to escort him and his family anywhere they went. He even slept with a revolver under his pillow in case of trouble.
0: Lucky for Rockefeller, by April of 1872, the South Improvement Company charter was revoked by the state of Pennsylvania. To all outward appearances, it seemed as though Standard Oil and its allies had been routed. Rates were renegotiated to appease everyone.
1: The people were overjoyed. Once again, they had a fair chance at the oil business. Or did they? While everyone was so focused on the South Improvement Company and its ridiculous rates, Standard Oil had secretly begun its second wave of attack, acquiring rival refineries.
0: Like the ancient Mongol armies invading China, Standard besieged its enemies to join them or be annihilated. Rockefeller personally visited opposing oil refineries and offered them a chance to be bought out by Standard Oil.
1: To do this, he did three things. First, he offered perspective, showing how overpopulated the oil industry was, with a multitude of competitors springing up and banks only wanting to fund a select few. Second, Rockefeller showed them Standard Oil's ledgers. These books featured everything from capital gains to partners, any and everything that showed just how truly powerful they were. This usually overwhelmed competitors with the books' sheer size and names listed.
0: And third, Rockefeller offered a generous buyout of the company. Standard was one of the few oil companies actually turning a profit, and it was certainly the strongest. What Rockefeller suggested was for the opposing oil company to be a part of the profit rather than be against it. By combining forces, everyone could benefit. Those who didn't were assured destruction.
1: And to end the conversation, Rockefeller would say, quote, take Standard Oil stock, and your family will never know what.
0: It was a scare tactic at its finest. And it worked. Most refineries took the offer, opting to be bought out. Rockefeller allowed those who sold out to buy stock, and some even remained on at their refineries to keep it running, providing they reported directly to Standard. Rockefeller even bought out his old bosses at Hewitt and Tuttle.
1: By June of 1872, Rockefeller and Standard Oil had eliminated 22 of the 26 rival oil companies in Cleveland. The media was too wrapped up in the South Improvement Scandal to pick up on what was going on. Of course, once people realized what was happening, it was too late. This became known as the Cleveland Massacre.
0: If anyone did oppose Standard, they were swiftly destroyed. Standard would dump its products at cost to squeeze competition. They'd also buy entire supplies of chemicals, barrel, wagons, anything the competition needed to do their job. Standard simply bottlenecked any and all operations.
1: Hmm, Sounds like corporate sabotage.
0: In a way, it was. Perhaps the very first instance of corporate sabotage on a mass scale in the U.S., But again, technically what Rockefeller was doing wasn't illegal. No one had dealt with a company this big, and government regulation hadn't kicked in yet.
1: So Rockefeller was just taking advantage of the system.
0: Take it as you will, he was smart. In fact, he was actually quoted as saying, having competition is a sin.
1: Why do you think he viewed competition as a sin?
0: I don't know if he literally thought of competition as a sin, but I think he considered it an affront to his operations. That a business should seek absolute control of its market and strive to be the best. More than anything, I think he just conveyed this idea in biblical terms, since that's how he was raised.
1: By the end of 1872, Standard owned the majority of the refineries in Cleveland and perhaps the U.S. They produced over 10,000 barrels of oil per day.
0: Things were still getting better for the Rockefeller family. Laura had just had another child, Edith, on August 31, 1872. Not uncommon for the era, where some households had upwards of 10 children, Laura took great care of the kids. She made sure the children went to church, got a proper education, and remained humble despite their luxurious circumstances. This was also while she was running several charities and fighting to see that women got a proper education.
1: Rockefeller wanted his family to always have a better life. So in 1873, he moved them to their latest house, a lavish mansion in the suburbs near Lake Erie, Cleveland. This mansion had plenty of room for not only the grandparents, but any visiting relatives. Nicknamed Forest Hill, it became the center of the Rockefeller family life throughout the 1880s. It was also Laura's favorite home.
0: And one year later, in 1874, Rockefeller had his last child, his only son. John D. Rockefeller Jr. was born on January 29, 1874. Rockefeller was ecstatic. While he loved his girls with all his heart, he was happy to finally have a boy in the house. He hoped his son would take over the family business one day. Sadly, Rockefeller couldn't spend much time with his new son as work called him to return to the refineries. Standard was now the biggest oil company, and Rockefeller made sure the quality of his products was of the highest caliber. Part of what also made Standard Oil so rich was that its kerosene was actually quite good. It was highly rated for its quality and consistency, and was fairly cheap compared to others.
1: Standard was also better managed and organized than its competitors. Early on, research was done on alternate ways to sell oil and creating new products. Over 300 products were developed for mass market distribution. These included naphtha, sulfuric acid, vaseline, and lubricants.
0: Rockefeller also continued to ensure that every phase of production was under Standard's banner to save money. They purchased pipelines, teamster companies, railroad cars, warehouses, even boats, anything they could.
1: Standard Oil General stores were established selling only Standard Oil goods. They slashed prices, forcing other stores to either sell closer to their rates or carry Standard oil products. It was because of Standard's rampant control of the market that oil prices actually fell for the average consumer. Yet, because Standard owned so much market, it rarely lost a profit, if at all.
0: As the 1870s rolled into the 1880s, Rockefeller continued to buy out oil companies. This time he set his sights on the rest of America and overseas. When asked about this aggressive takeover, Rockefeller simply said, quote, it was forced upon us. We had to do it in self-defense. The oil business was in confusion and daily growing worse. Someone had to take a stand.
1: While many accused him of being greedy, Rockefeller insisted his ambition was not powered by avarice. In his eyes, he was making money for the benefit of humankind, and his wealth was a gift from God, a gift he had to dispense wisely.
0: Mm, Sounds like he had a huge ego.
1: Maybe. By the 1880s, Standard Oil owned 90 percent of the oil business in America. It was a near monopoly on American oil. At this point, Standard Oil owned 41 companies, 20,000 domestic wells, 4,000 miles of pipeline, 5,000 tank cars, and had over 100,000 employees. There was much to handle, and it was becoming increasingly hard to deal with.
0: So in 1881, Rockefeller and his associates placed the control of Standard Oil and all its assets in the control of nine trustees, expanding the leadership and making it easier to clarify who controlled what. Thus, the first American trust was officially established in 1882 as Standard Oil Trust, the first American monopoly.
1: The world was at Rockefeller's fingertips. But how long would the world allow it?
0: Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to Historical Figures. While business was good, thanks to establishing the first American trust, Rockefeller generally felt homesick. He traveled often between New York and Cleveland. He often wrote to his wife, saying, quote, Oh, for a home dinner, good cream and the quiet and peace of our table.
1: Well, starting in the early 1880s, Rockefeller began to take his family with him in his travels. They stayed in hotels for a time, but this started to put a strain on the kids and Laura. Rockefeller had made it a point to be around his kids as often as he could, something his own father had rarely ever done.
0: The constant moving from one hotel to another proved too arduous for the already tired parents and restless teens. So in 1884, Rockefeller bought a house on West 4th and 54th Streets. This New York abode became the family's home from October into spring when they returned to Cleveland to Forest Hills. This proved a worthy compromise as everyone found it easier moving back and forth with permanent residences to call home between the two states. As Rockefeller found a way to balance work and family, the rest of the U.S. and other oil companies were furious. Public ire was continually growing towards Standard Oil, especially after it became a trust in 1882.
1: Rockefeller became a target for muckraking journalists, reform politicians, and others who viewed him as a symbol of corporate greed. He was accused of getting rich off railroad rebates, bribing men to spy on competitors, making secret agreements, coercing rivals to join under threat of being run out of business, and building a fortune off the ruins of other men. Critics also accused Rockefeller of engaging in unethical practices, such as predatory pricing and colluding with the railroads to eliminate competition.
0: Given what we know of his business practices, it doesn't sound far-fetched.
1: Yet, for the most part, Rockefeller ignored these claims. Now in his 40s, he began to focus more on his philanthropy.
0: In 1889, Rockefeller was approached by Reverend Frederick T. Gates, the head of the American Baptist Education Society in Chicago. He wanted to ask Rockefeller's help in establishing a well-equipped college in Chicago. Rockefeller agreed, providing one million dollars to match the Baptist Educational Society's donation of one million dollars.
1: The Baptists agreed, and by 1890, the University of Chicago was founded. Rockefeller continued to donate on top of the $1 million for the next 20 years until 1910.
0: Yet while Rockefeller was busy setting up the University of Chicago, Congress decided it was time to act on Standard Oil. Shortly after the University of Chicago was established, Congress passed the Sherman Antitrust Act.
1: The act was the first federal legislation prohibiting trusts and combinations that restrain trade. In other words, it was designed to prevent monopolistic companies from exerting complete control over a market or the artificial raising of prices by strangling trade. It was a clear rebuff to Rockefeller's anti-competitive actions and aggressive capitalism.
0: Standard oil was in clear violation of the act, and motions were set into place to slowly dissolve standard oil. This weighed heavily on Rockefeller, whose health began to deteriorate from the stress of running the world's largest company. He began to suffer from bouts of depression, and struggled with digestive issues, and alopecia.
1: Alopecia?
0: Alopecia is a condition in which all of your body begins to lose hair, everywhere.
1: Ooh, yikes, tough break for Rockefeller.
0: By 1892, Standard Oil was officially deemed in violation of Ohio law. Standard Oil would have to dissolve. Yet Rockefeller didn't give up so easily. While he let each property under the standard banner run itself, the board still held power through a web of spun-off companies.
1: Rockefeller then established Standard Oil New Jersey and slowly but surely reacquired his lost businesses back into his network. By 1899, Standard Oil was reborn in Standard Oil, New Jersey. Rockefeller once again had a monopoly that controlled three-quarters of the market in the U.S. The American people were furious again.
0: Yet as Rockefeller recouped his empire, his health continued to strain under the pressure of running the world's biggest company. Finally, he was forced to retire from daily operations in 1895 at age 56 though he still played a minor part in the company and was still recognized as the president. Six years later, in 1901, Rockefeller lost all of his hair from alopecia. He needed to wear a toupee for the rest of his life to hide his lack of body hair. He even went as far as to have varying lengths of wigs to fool people into thinking he still had hair. That same year, Rockefeller finally retired from Standard Oil, exhausted. He then decided to devote his time to his second passion, philanthropy.
1: Inspired by the charities of Andrew Carnegie, Rockefeller put more money into his philanthropic endeavors, the newest of which was establishing the Rockefeller Medical Institute, later named Rockefeller University.
0: Perhaps partially influenced by his own health issues, Rockefeller put up money to establish a medical school devoted to disease prevention, especially yellow fever. The school was a complete success, later working on African sleeping sickness, the flu, and infantile paralysis.
1: And as Rockefeller continued to give money to fund Rockefeller University, he also set up the General Education Board in 1902. Rockefeller and Laura both felt strongly about education, despite both having a limited one by today's standards. Rockefeller established the GEB to promote education within the U.S. The primary focus was to give education to everyone, without the distinction of race, sex, or creed. In the South, the GEB helped establish schools for black children. They also helped establish 4-H clubs and youth organizations. From the time of its establishment to 1965, the GEB distributed over $325 million, thanks to the Rockefellers
0: while it seemed Rockefeller was doing God's work with his charities and schools, he was still subject to scrutiny. The same year he established the General Education Board, muckraking pioneer Ida Tarbell began a scathing exposé on the history of Standard Oil. From 1902 to 1904, Ida denounced Rockefeller in person and in business. This rage wasn't just business, it was personal. When Ida was a little girl, her father, Franklin S. Tarbell, had his own oil company. She grew up in Titusville before her father was ruined by Standard Oil and Rockefeller. Since then, she had held a grudge against Rockefeller. Her exposé, which delved into the history of Standard and Rockefeller, was meant to destroy him.
1: Rockefeller took little interest in her or her story and simply referred to her as Tar Barrel. Yet what Rockefeller didn't realize was just how impactful Ida's article was. It even caught the attention of the recently elected president, Theodore Roosevelt, who was interested in trust-busting and regulating big business. And Ida's story gave him the ammunition he needed to take down Standard.
0: By 1907, trust buster Teddy Roosevelt and the Justice Department put together a case against Standard Oil, New Jersey. And by 1909, the case of Standard Oil, New Jersey versus the United States had begun.
1: Thanks to Ida's report, along with investigations into Standard's practices from years ago, the Supreme Court ruled that once again, Standard was in violation of the Sherman Act through unduly trade, or trade that led to monopolistic consequences. The government had the right to break up standard oil. It was a landmark win for antitrust law.
0: So, in 1909, Standard Oil dissolved again, and like clockwork, Rockefeller worked to secretly bring the pieces back together.
1: Meanwhile, the government caught on to Standard's plot to reconstitute itself and was once again shut down. This time, the government made sure Standard couldn't bring itself back together and separated it into 34 companies. These companies included Chevron, Exxon, BP, and ConocoPhillips.
0: You'd think that Rockefeller would have been devastated, but he actually made even more money off the dissolution. As the company dissolved, Rockefeller had 244,500 shares of the total 983,383 shares from all the companies.
1: He had more than surpassed his first goal of making $100,000 with his net worth, by today's standards, being over 300 billion. Yet he still had one more goal to achieve live to 100.
0: Rockefeller was officially out of the game. He took up golfing and relied solely on his investments to keep his family comfortable. He could finally spend more time with his family and his new grandchildren. Church and philanthropy became his main focus. He gave tens of thousands of dollars to his and other churches, especially impoverished black churches. He also taught Bible lessons twice a day at Sunday school.
1: He continued to establish institutions as well, like the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission, spurred by his special interest in public health, especially in the South, where public health was poor. Rockefeller created the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission for the eradication of hookworm disease. The commission was designed to bring a cooperative movement of medical professionals, public health officials, boards of trade, churches, schools, the press, and other agencies for the cure of hookworm.
0: For the next 20 years, they launched an aggressive campaign of public education and medication in 11 southern states to eradicate hookworm. The commission held over 25,000 meetings with over 2 million people attending. The commission was such a success that Rockefeller expanded the agency to work in other countries.
1: And in one of his last great acts of philanthropy, he established the Rockefeller Foundation in 1913. The foundation was a broad commitment to give assistance to public health, education, food production, scientific advancement, social research, the arts, and other fields. In general, Rockefeller said the foundation was, quote, to promote the well-being of mankind throughout the world.
0: The foundation expanded the work of the Sanitary Commission to worldwide, helping in six continents and 52 countries. It received international recognition for its work in public health and environmental sanitation for its work in hookworm, malaria, and yellow fever and teaching basic techniques to treat diseases. The foundation also built the world's first school of hygiene and public health at John Hopkins University and spent $25 million developing public health schools in the U.S. and 21 other countries. And the foundation wasn't just working in health and medicine. The foundation worked in agriculture and helped Mexico with the Green Revolution, which advanced food production around the world.
1: Despite losing his oil company, Rockefeller's fortune continued to grow. By 1912, his fortune peaked at $900 million, or around $336 billion by today's standards.
0: That's insane.
1: Yeah, yet he didn't keep much of it. Rockefeller continued to donate enormous sums of money to various charities and foundations, not to mention universities like Yale and Harvard and dozens of churches. He even left generous offerings in church boxes, sometimes thousands of dollars. But as the years went on, both he and his wife's health waned. Laura especially wasn't doing very well.
0: Sadly, his wife Laura passed away in 1915. she had become bedridden and eventually died of a heart attack. She was 75, and Rockefeller was 76.
1: He was heartbroken. In her honor, he founded the Laura Spellman Rockefeller Memorial in 1918.
0: The next 20 years proved hard for Rockefeller, yet he was determined to die at 100. Then, on May 23, 1937, Rockefeller finally passed away at 98 years old, just two years shy of 100.
1: So close. Mm. Yet Rockefeller had left his mark on the world. Not only had he shaped business, but government regulation as well. But perhaps his biggest contribution was through his philanthropy. By the time he died, he was worth $26,410,837. The rest of his $900 million he had given away to charity and philanthropy. This makes him one of the biggest philanthropists of all
0: time. As he died, Rockefeller wrote, quote, I was early taught to work as well as play. My life has been one long, happy holiday, full of work and full of play. I dropped the worry on the way and God was good to me every day, end quote.
1: So John D. Rockefeller, what do you think, Vanessa? Was he an unscrupulous businessman or a humanitarian treasure?
0: The truth lies somewhere in the middle. I think Rockefeller was a man of tremendous ego and drive, yet he tempered himself with his devotions to God and charity. And like him or not, he truly was one of the world's most influential historical figures.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Historical Figures.
0: A new episode comes out every Wednesday, so don't forget to subscribe to Historical Figures on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review.
1: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network or through our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot
0: com. As always, we thank you for listening. Historical Figures was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Kenny Hobbs with production assistance by Carrie Murphy. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Historical Figures is written by Michael Pindis and stars Vanessa Richardson and Carter Roy.